Um, I want us to pray, but first I got to look at you. Let me look at you. Y'all are my family. You're the only place I can do this and feel comfortable, not weird doing it. I just want to see all my, all my people in the room. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you so much for this precious time that we get to spend together, Lord, in your presence, to get to corporately worship you together, Father. It's a glimpse of heaven, Father. It's a glimpse of eternity. What a joy and a privilege, Lord. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get to share it, the opportunity to be obedient to the call on my life, Father. This is a precious thing, and I thank you for it, Father. I thank you that there is a watch on my mouth, the Holy Spirit, everything that come out of me tonight, let it be of you. Let it minister, Father. May the word that you've put in my heart go forth and may it accomplish it what you release it to do. And Father, I thank you for this season for our house. I speak that you are calling us into deeper intimacy. The reality that in you there is always more and we wanna be a people who go after it in you, Father. We are not after stuff. We are not after titles. We are not after accolades. We are after the face of Jesus. We wanna see new face, facets of your glory, new facets of your nature, of your character revealed in and through us, Jesus. You are what we are after, Lord. So I thank you for what you're gonna do in Victory Life Church Sermon as we seek your face in this season as we go deeper into places of intimacy with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Y'all ready? I'm excited. I might, um, we might be covering a lot. I don't really know. You never really know when something's on paper, so we might have a pace. So let's just stay together. We got this. We'll do it. So we're going to go to John 12, 1 through 8. Tonight's message is entitled Costly Oil. Costly Oil oil. We're going to be talking tonight about the oil of our lives being poured out on Jesus, the substance of who you are given to him fully, wholly, and completely. And we see a beautiful illustration of this in a story that's in John 12, 1 through 8. And um, if you were here, anybody here when Pastor Dwayne taught not too long ago? Raise your hand. He touched on this, and this is one of my favorite stories. And so we're just going to dig some things out of this um, and, and just enjoy. So I'm going to start reading John 12. You can turn there, 1 through 8, or it will be on the screen. It says in verse 12, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Everybody say Bethany. Where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, typical. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet, spikenard, how do you say it? That's how you say it. Anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. 
For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. So I want to look at this scene. We've, we've visited this, this story many times, haven't we? And I think we all, we look at the woman anointing Jesus and we all in our hearts say, oh, I want to be that. I want to live like that. But tonight for our purpose, I want us to look at this story as if it is a scene that plays out on the inside of you every day. And on the inside of you, you have the voice of the Spirit that looks like Mary pouring oil on Jesus. And you have the voice of your flesh that sounds like Judas looking at that and saying, what a waste, what a waste. I don't know about you, but I have struggled many times and we'll dig more into this, but I start a thing in obedience or I start with the intent of following, or I start with the intent of surrender, but something happens that I wasn't quite prepared for, or it looks a little different than I planned for, so I take back up the surrender. I take back up the oil and say to the Lord, I've got a better idea for this oil. (laughs) Anybody? Anybody ever had a better idea than him? (laughs) I want us to compare Mary and Judas, and I've got a little chart just a comparison. Mary desires to please Jesus. I want to live for the Lord's pleasure. I want everything that I do, everything that I am, everything I put my hand to, my relationships, I want them to be pleasing to Him. But my flesh desires control. Judas desired control. He had a better idea for how to use that oil. When in reality, he really wanted that money for himself. I've got plans for this. (laughs) I know what to do with this. Let's sell it and give it to the poor. Yeah, yeah, okay, Judas. Uh, What's funny is you've got the man who multiplies fish and loaves, and Judas is worried about getting that money to the poor. You've got all provisions sitting there in the room And so that's just an excuse. How often do we make excuses like that? We make excuses about, instead of relying on you, Jesus, completely, I've got some of my own resources I can use here. So just in case you don't come through, just in case you aren't the answer for the poor, just in case you aren't the answer, the king that we all hoped for, I've got some ideas up my sleeve. I've got some things that I can do, resources within myself that I can lean on, my work ethic, my talents, my gifts, my relationships, whatever it may be. I've got some things at my own sleeve. Anybody ever said that to the Lord? (laughs) I've got some of my own resources, Lord. The second is Mary, Focus. her focus is on Jesus. You look in this room, everybody's looking at Mary and this display, but Mary's got her eyes fixed. She's got her eyes fixed on Jesus. But Judas's focus is on selfish gain. He's just looking at what can I get out of this situation? What can I get? The next one I I thought was interesting, just thought was that Mary is satisfied at Jesus's feet, whereas Judas is content just being in his vicinity. I want to spend some time here because this is the reality of a lot of believers. If we go to church, if we can check off all of our spiritual disciplines, if we are tithing regularly, if we have some some Christians, friends 
people who profess to be Christians, if we try to make good choices, if we try to live right, that's enough for me. I'm in his vicinity. I've at least gotten into the room with him. When Jesus in reality has called us to a place at his feet, He's called us into a place of intimacy. We see this in scripture a lot. It was John who reclined. He laid against Jesus. All the other disciples were in Christ's vicinity, but John laid against him. It's the same with Mary, not only in this story, but in other stories. Mary's at his feet. It's not enough for me to just be in the room. It's not enough for me to have my Christian checklist. I have to be at his feet. I have to be close enough to smell him. I have to be close enough. He can spit on me when he's talking. I want to be up close and personal with Jesus. Isn't that the true desire of our heart? I know we get busy and we get distracted and stuff happens in life that pulls us away from that place at his feet. Circumstances will pull us away from that place at his feet things that are hard, that are difficult, when in reality, the only way we can work those things out is if we get ourselves at His feet. Amen? It's not enough to be in His vicinity. I want to be close to Him, closer than close. And He said, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. There's nothing that we can do that He does not reciprocate. If I will give Him time, He will give me time. If I give Him attention, He gives me attention. His eyes are always searching for any heart that will respond to Him in love. It's not enough for me to just say that I'm in His family. I want to sit in His lap. Anybody? Anybody that's, you just want that, I want that to be my lifestyle. Every day I wake up. The next thing I noticed in here was Mary recognizes worship as gain. In her eyes, what she is doing is giving all. This is the most important um, thing she's doing today. <laughs> she ain't got nothing else on her agenda that's more important than this. She recognizes a moment, an encounter with Jesus as gain. Whereas Judas looks at this and he calls it waste. This is a waste of my time. Now, oh, I'm just going to do it. If it steps on any toes, this is okay. Because this, this is how we dig in. How many times have I been, I'm just taking worship, corporate worship as an example. How many times have I been in a, a corporate worship setting where I was over it two songs ago? <laughs> Like, yeah, you're holy. You're awesome. Okay, let's wrap this up, you know, move on. And I just think corporate worship, worship for me has just been such an example. Uh, it's so exposing of what's going on in your heart. What you think and do and how you engage in corporate worship says a lot about, it reveals a lot to you about your heart. How long can you sit in the fire of his presence and be content there? When you find your limit, that's a sign. Oh, I need to grow here. When you find where you get uncomfortable or how you become uncomfortable in the in corporate worship settings, it reveals something about your heart that he wants to refine. And he draws us into those moments for the very purpose of revealing to us what is in our heart so that he can refine them. Um, we get to sit with him and he gets to do the work. I call worship open heart surgery. Worship time is open heart surgery. We're not coming in here to sing songs. We're coming in here to get operated on. <laughs> 
I need him to operate on me. My heart is not healthy without him. In order for my life to flow, for the strength of my life to be working properly, I need him to make adjustments in me on a daily basis. That's why just this gathering is not enough because it's a daily work that we need. I think of it as if every day you wake up, start over. That's just the safe way to live. Just as if you've never tasted and seen that he's good. Let me start over. Let me dig into the word again. Let me find his presence again. The other thing that I find really interesting is that Mary dismisses opposition in the room in order to surrender. These disciples are out loud scoffing some of them. They're out loud making these expressions like, ah, what is this? What is she doing? (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're doing this kind of stuff like, oh my God, this is uncomfortable. She's weird. What is she doing? Lord, is this okay? <laughs> you know, they're scoffing at her. They are dismissing her. They're ridiculing her use of this oil. And she is dismissing all of that, dismissing all that noise in order to press into an encounter with the Lord. Whereas Judas, he dismisses surrender in opposition. There's so many times in my life where I have dismissed an opportunity to surrender to him in opposition to what he's trying to do in my life, in disobedience. Really, we don't, that's a harsh word, but that's what it is. And I think of these, when we think of those heavy words like disobedience, (laughs) I think we're kids. We are his kids and kids disobey. But the Lord's a faithful father who brings correction and brings us back in and shows us how it's done. And if a good parent will take uh, disobedience and turn that into a teaching moment, amen? If you're paying attention, every time your kid disobeys, this is a teaching moment. The Lord's revealing something of my kid's heart to me that I can now minister to. And that's what the Lord does with us. As things come up out of our heart, the dross rises out of our heart. He addresses those things. He he deals with us. And I'm so thankful that he does. But we don't want to dismiss opportunities to surrender in opposition to the Lord. When you dismiss opportunities to surrender, think of it as I just dismissed my breakthrough. I just dismissed my growth. I just dismissed satisfaction in this life. On the other side of surrender is all of those things, breakthrough, satisfaction, growth, joy in the Lord. So your flesh will always look at surrender to Jesus and call it waste. Your flesh will always have a better way than obedience to Jesus. Luke 10, 41 through 42. This is another story that we see uh, some crossover in what's happening in John. And it's this, the story of Martha and Mary. So Luke 10, 41 through 42, it says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, are needed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So you, you should know the context of this. If you don't, I will tell you real fast, but Pastor Dwayne just spent some time on a, a series on this particular story. But um, what's going on is Martha's busy. She's taking care of business and Mary's sitting at Jesus's feet. Martha gets upset with Mary that Mary's not working and Jesus says, let her alone. She's chosen the good part and I'm not gonna take it from her. This is such a picture to me of what we make our root in life because work is not bad. Everybody say that, say work is not bad. 
Work is a gift. I love my work. I love what I get to do. It's not always easy. It can be demanding. Work is challenging. That's why we call it work. (laughs) But it's good. I like to work. I like to get things done. I'm one of those people who makes lists and lists for my lists. It's my joy in life. (laughs) But, um, But when we make work our root, we bear the fruit of worry and frustration and dissatisfaction. Whereas Mary has made surrender, she has made communion the root of her life. And from communion, what the Lord says, nothing will be denied her. When we make delighting in the Lord our root in life, He says, I will deny nothing of you, deny nothing from you. Um, That's confirmed. Let's look at this, Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. He gives us the desires of our heart within the context of communing with Him, within the context of responding to His invitation to live in relationship with Him. And it's there that as we spend time with Him, He actually deposits desires in us. And then those desires come out of us where the things I want in life become the things He wants for me. And that can only happen through communion. John 15, four through five, it says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Everybody say remain. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 8, 31. So think about what he said. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. In John 8, 31, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So how do we abide in him? We abide in his word. And I heard one of my favorite teachers this, this weekend say that, when it's talking about his word here, it's not talking about his logos word. It's not enough for me to just study this with my carnal mind and just put information in my head. That's never worked for me. Never gotten a lot of result from that. But when the Lord in communion breathes on his word and you receive a rhema word from God where he takes this scripture and parts start jumping off at you and it's alive and active unto you, that's when you are abiding in his word. You make your home in his word. And that's what the Psalms are talking about. That day and night I meditate on your law. It's the last thing I think of before I go to bed. It's the first thing I think of when I wake up. I abide in in your word. That's what it is to abide in him. And he says, if my word abides in you, then you are my disciple. And then John 15, going back to that four through five, it says, you bear much fruit. What is the fruit that we bear? It's the fruit of his nature, the fruit of his power, of his character, where we are transformed into the very likeness of Christ. And we become his little people, his little Jesuses, his little reflection walking around Walmart. And we need some little Jesuses in Walmart. (laughs) We need his kids to go to Walmart in the name of Jesus. Anybody call to the mission field of Walmart? Anybody, let me see your hands. Woo! (laughs) If you're not called to Africa, you're called to Walmart. Target is just as bad. 
any town center, call the town center in Jesus' mighty name. We say yes, Lord. Um, I want to show you a pretty picture. I like pictures. Let's see if we can find it. Yeah, that's beautiful. This is For She Loved Much by Simon Dewey. I just love a good picture. Y'all look at that while I tell you a story. (laughs) When I was 11 years old, I was visiting my great uncle in the Houston area. And he, uh, he was an evangelist, crazy about Jesus. That's all, basically all I know about him, uncle or cousin Richard. <laughs> well, that night, um, cousin Richard laid hands on me and prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was 11 and, and I did. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and instantaneously received my prayer language. I know that's not everybody's story, but I was thankful that that was mine because it, it was life transforming to me. And I remember within the next few weeks, being at church, I think it was the very first time I was at church following that event. The pastor, the preacher had us uh, turn to some scripture. I wish I could remember now what it was. Actually, I know it was in Exodus because I remember seeing Moses' name. I know it was in Exodus. And he's reading in Exodus and I've got this little blue pencil and my little kid Bible. <laughs> and I, he starts reading a scripture and I start underlining what he said. And then I underline the next line. And then I underlined the next line. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is good stuff. He lost me 10 minutes ago. I've been underlining for the past 10 minutes because the word I noticed, oh my gosh, this is alive. The word's alive. It means something to me. This is just not some old book, but it's active. It's for me. And this, he's talking to me in it. And it created for, for me in that moment an appetite for his, his word an appetite for his presence. And so as I grew up, I would take this word into the secret place. Anybody know what the secret place is? Your quiet time with the Lord. I would take the word with me into the secret place and I would open up the Psalms because the Psalms were the most approachable. You know, the first book in the Bible I ever read was Job. It is a miracle I am still here. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I think I was 11. It was that summer. And Job was what I opened up to one summer day and just like, I think I'll start here. What in the world? (laughs) Holy Spirit, he knows I love him because I didn't walk away after that. But I loved to take the Psalms into the secret place and read those aloud and sing them and worship to them. And it created for me an appetite. So when you look at people that can pray all day or worship all day, or man, they're just fanatics. It's not that they're fanatics, it's that they've fed their appetite. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The tasting precedes the seeing in the kingdom. You have to taste first before you acquire an appetite for his presence. Because there were times and there have been seasons since uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit where I approached the word and it seemed dry as toast. Like, I'm not interested in reading this. (laughs) This is going to put me to sleep. This is what I read before I go to sleep, if I'm trying to go to sleep. There were times where I just wasn't interested in worship. I wasn't interested in, uh, in spending long times in prayer. That didn't appeal to me because I had allowed my appetite to falter, to fall to the wayside. We create an appetite for His presence by spending time with Him in the first place. And the more you press into being with Him, the more you want to. That's the secret. Nobody, nobody, I don't know that anybody told me that earlier. I just thought as soon as I became a believer that, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have this amazing appetite for Jesus. And for some people that was their experience, but for a lot of us, that's not. You don't just suddenly have an appetite for reading just because you said yes to Jesus. There are some people who hate reading. It was not their thing. But when you will taste, 
you will see that he's good and you'll develop within yourself an appetite for his word and for his presence. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Remember, we're talking about costly oil. And what this verse is saying is, I don't live for me anymore. I don't get to choose what I do with the oil, the substance of my life. I don't get to choose what I do with my gifts, my talents, my money, my past. They're all His. Because I've said yes to Him, I've said yes to giving. He is now the recipient of my all. In Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Everybody say newness of life. I've got a new life in Him. My life is not my own anymore. It belongs to Him. It's right that I should give it to Him. It's right that I should surrender it and find new and creative ways every day to surrender. Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorite scriptures. I'm, I'm giving you a lot of verses so you can chew on these later. Galatians 2.20, I love this verse. This is the verse I stood on when I was facing a um, tremendous sickness several years ago. I say tremendous, it wasn't that tremendous, but it was for me, it was scary. I had a sickness and this was the, the scripture the Lord the Lord brought me to one evening and he said, eat this word, make this your confession. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Everybody say by faith. In the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I now live my life by faith and faith comes from hearing his word. Faith comes from communion with him. And that's what I now live my life by, by abiding with him in his word. That is how the reality of living in Christ, Christ-like, that's how it's possible. That's the only way it's possible. It's, it's not enough for me to have professed to be a Christian to just have received salvation. If I want my daily walk to begin to look like Christ, it's gonna look like abiding with Him in His Word, chewing it, eating it. And that's a discipline we develop. It's a muscle we develop. But choosing to bring our oil to Him is what leads to satisfaction. Remember, fruit, breakthrough, all the things that we desire in this life are on the other side of surrender. So the oil that we pour on Jesus is the substance of our whole lives. Everybody say all, all your life. All of it is His, amen? All of it's His. Now, I want us to, we're gonna do a little word study. Anybody like word studies? I'm a sucker for a good word study. They're, they're my delight. You know, I don't know if you know this about me, a little testimony time. My education was in English. I was an English major. English literature is a passion of mine. So I'm going to share a passion. I love English literature. And what that looked like in college was um, what they call literary analysis. You analyze literature. I mean, like, who does that? Like, that's their job. 
yeah, it was a liberal arts college. Enough said. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's what I got my degree in, y'all. Woo! <laughs> the only thing you can do with that is write or teach. <laughs> and I love both of those, so it's okay. It worked out. It was a lure. So um, you analyze literature. And so one of the tools in every English major's belt is word study. If there's a name in a piece of literature, you need to go look it up because it's probably significant. You're going to see things revealed about the nature of this story in that word. And so when I looked up the word of the town, the name of the town, where both of those things happen, where Mary anoints Jesus and where Martha and Mary um, are, are at it when Martha's, well, Martha's at it. Martha's at Jesus's throat because Mary's not helping. Both of those events happen in Bethany. But before we get to looking at the name Bethany, I want you to keep this in mind. Oil is made from heat and pressure. The oil of our lives is produced by heat and pressure. That's not fun. Ooh, that's not appealing. You know, if you think about, Lord, I'm going to walk through some heat and I'm going to walk through some pressure, but it's going to be great. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> so Beth, let's look at the first part of this word because it's two parts. Beth in Bethany means house of. Everybody say house of. And Anna is the verb that where, where any comes from, the end of that word, Anna. And it, what I found so interesting, this verb has four definitions. And that's what caught my attention. I'm like, ooh, it's got layers. I like layers. I'm like, ooh, as you, when you start digging in the word, you find a treasure trove. And then you dig through that treasure trove and inside that treasure trove, there's another treasure trove. <laughs> and you open that up. And that's what it, it's like when you start digging into words in scripture. And so when I saw, oh, this word has four meanings, four verbs, I thought that's, that's going to be fun. Let me see what's in here. So the, the word or the verb Anna means number one, to answer. Number two, to be busy. Number three, to afflict. And that's its primary definition. And number four, to sing. So when you say Bethany, you say house of answers, house of busyness, house of affliction, or house of singing. That's the literal translation of that, that word. So I want to look at that word as a picture, because remember we said that this is a scene playing out on the inside of us. So let's look at Bethany as our Bethany is the things in our life that produce the oil in our lives through heat and pressure. So number one is the oil of communion. That comes from the definition to answer. If you look extensively at that definition, it means to answer, to respond, to correspond. It goes back to communion. So the oil of communion with the Lord, uh, is, it's produced or we produce that oil through communion with Him. One way that our life gives him something worthy, gives him a reward, is through communion with him. And I would say this is the primary thing that we're invited into. We are invited into a relationship. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is something our pastors say every time they dismiss us. Y'all, I can't say all that stuff they say at the end of our services. I'm sorry. I try and I mess it up every time. I, and it's crazy. Is it the Shema? I speak that over my daughter. That's our nighttime prayer. But then I get on the stage and I can't remember it. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. 
I'm not even going to try. But that's what I pray over my daughter. And every time I'm standing up here, I can't remember it. It makes me so mad. But anyway, that when we, they bless us as we're leaving, they say, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Communion with Holy Spirit produces an oil. When we spend time with Him, there is a pressing that happens. It's gentle. He's gentle. In communion with Him, He's a gentle God. But He's pressing us. He's forming us. He's drawing the oil of our lives out. He's causing us to be a reflection of His glory as we spend time with Him. Psalm 27, 4 is, one of my, is my life verse. And Pastor Dwayne just did a mini series on it. Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Isn't that a good scripture? When we make that our one thing, that produces the oil out of our life, just relationship. If we just focus, if you focused on bettering no other area of your life, if you could just focus on the one thing of relationship with Jesus, every area of your life would begin to improve. Your marriage, your friendships, your finances, your occupation, whatever it may be. If we just focus on the one thing, every other area follows and begins to bear the fruit of relationship with Him. The next one is the oil of work. Remember, the second definition of Anna is to be busy or occupied. It refers to business or occupation. And we already said work's not a bad thing. Work's a good thing. Your work and what you put your hand to in this life glorifies God. He is revealed in your work, whatever you do. If you uh, lay pipelines, I talked to somebody who did that. If you are an artist, whatever it may be, if you're a teacher, if you work at a gas station, your work can reveal the face and the nature of Jesus. What you do is always as unto Him. And when we make it as unto Him, it brings Him glory and it's an oil to Him. John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered and He said to them, this is the work. Everybody say, the work, the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So in whatever occupation I am fulfilling, as I fulfill the work that I am called to or the work that I'm doing for now, maybe you don't feel called to it, but it's the work for now. As I do this work as unto him, I do it believing in the one who's been sent to me. I do it believing in Jesus. And as I am putting my faith, putting my attention on Jesus, I'm seeing Jesus made manifest through my work. And that's what Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That's a sermon series just right there, working as unto Him. We all say we want to do that, but then as soon as we're not recognized the way we deserve to be recognized, we're like, well, is it really unto Him? Or as soon as just we're uh, demoted, was it really unto Him? Our work and how we do it unto Him really deeply matters to Him. 
that I wake up and I do my job heartily, even if it's not the thing that I want to be doing, even if it's not the call, it doesn't even resemble the call. If I will give it to him like oil, he will cause the fruit of his nature, the fruit of the kingdom to be made manifest in my life through my job. And it's that kind of surrender and obedience that brings breakthrough in the area of my job, in the area of my work. If you're believing for an open door, then surrender to Jesus. Get in his presence. Do the work you've got now as unto him and he will open up the door you desire. Amen? That's true. Let's see, where are we at? The oil of affliction. Everybody's favorite oil. (laughs) The oil of affliction. There's no way around this one. Affliction comes in many ways. It happens through bad decisions I make, the dumb stuff I do, (laughs) the disobedience I walk in. It comes through circumstances that happen to me, losses that I experience. It happens all kinds of ways. The oil of affliction is a costly oil, and it's precious to him. But we, like Pastor Dwayne said a few weeks ago, we don't run from him in times of affliction. We run to him. And when we run to him, it's an oil to him. It's a sweet incense. And I think the sweetest because we join Christ in his suffering. We join him in his pain and we realize that we serve a God who cries and who bleeds and who understands what it is to suffer. And in that, more so than any of us, he bore the the sin and the weight of the entire world for every generation. We can't fathom. We cannot fathom. Bearing my own junk is enough. <laughs> like, I don't need anybody else's. Y'all keep y'all stuff. Um, but Jesus bore it all for us. And he knows we don't serve a priest who's, not, who's unfamiliar with our pain, with our suffering. He's very much acquainted with what it is that we walk through. And when we bring affliction to him, it blesses him. And he transforms us through affliction like no other. I tell you what, when I've walked with him through hard stuff, the transformation I've experienced experienced in that compares to nothing else. There's nothing like walking with him through hard stuff. There is nothing like the fruit that you gain and what you learn of him. When you walk through hard things, you are introduced to facets of the Lord that nobody else may ever see because they've never been through that. You get to see parts of his love and his nature toward you that you would have never known otherwise because he's such a faithful friend in affliction. He's like a closer than a brother through a hard thing. He walks so near to us and so dear to us. And I believe he just releases such a grace and a mercy to us in seasons of affliction that you never taste of any other way. And I don't know about you, but we have to settle in this reality that it's just like Austin said this Sunday, that um, believing in him um, now means I'm never going to suffer. Honestly, saying yes to Jesus guarantees that you will. The scripture promises that we are going to suffer in this life. We, If not from natural things, because we live in a fallen world, we may suffer for the cause of Christ. We may suffer as a result of following him. That's a reality we all need to wake up to, that I may very well have to pay a price. That's my flesh and blood. I may very well have to pay that kind of price for having said yes to him. But living from the reality that it's worth it. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, what we're called to is crazy, but it's, it's, it's life itself to know him. This is eternal life. Something else too that I, sh- I talked about 
are shared recently is sometimes the affliction is the transformation itself. Sometimes just allowing him to change parts of our nature hurts. <laughs> it feels like affliction, it feels painful. What do you mean you want me to get up early and spend time with you? No, <laughs> I want to sleep in. What do you mean you want me to eat right and take care of myself? No, like it's just, no, he, he has desires for us. He desires transformation to be made manifest in our natural life, in our natural bodies, in our natural circumstances. He wants to manifest himself through us in every part of our lives, but that will take our cooperation. And sometimes cooperation means pain, just like exercise brings pain, but it profits. Transformation being worked out in every facet of my life is not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging at times, and I'm going to want to quit. I know I had this wrestling match for years and years with the Lord about waking up early. And I don't think there's any mandate that says we have to wake up early and spend time with Him, but He had given me a direction. He told me, he said, Antoinette, I want you to wake up at this time and I want you to read this and I want, this, I want us to do this every morning. Create this discipline of, of going to the word every morning and it'd be the first thing you do when you wake up. He, he told me it wasn't an option. It was a command. And I wrestled with him forever. And it was affliction to me to force my natural man to get up and to be obedient to him. It was not easy and um, I felt so convicted this Sunday because Austin's talking about Jonah. Anybody been a Jonah ever in your life <laughs> and run from his direction to you? Man, he was reading my mail, that first one, and I, was, I almost got up and walked out. <laughs> but because um, he, he, he mentioned book writing. The Lord's told me since I was little I was going to write books, and I'm just like, no. And it's not that I'm like, no, I write all the time, but there's something so scary about putting pen to paper with the intention of saying this is going to be a book. And I'm like, I wrestled with all kinds of thoughts. Like, God, there's enough books out there. Who needs another book? Nobody cares about what I got to say. There's already 10 books on this topic. You know, I wrestled with all kinds of things. I'm too young or I don't, you know, I, whatever, all the stuff. And, um, and that being... Um, pressing through my no. I had such a strong no to him, just on my hand up like this. And when we do this to the Lord concerning different areas of our lives, some for some it's finances, like you can have anything but my finances, Lord. Because <laughs> you just grew up in a poverty mentality and you can't imagine walking in his prosperity. You just can't imagine being a giver. Like, no, I've got to keep all this. <laughs> Those things are things I've walked through. Like, no, you can't. Have, you can have anything else, but you can't have this. I joke about my husband when I was dating as a young person. I thought, Lord, you can have anything else, but I'll pick my own man. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> you just hold the Lord at arm's length. You can't have this. You can have this stuff over there. And it's like the more we do that to him, the more limited we become in our lives. We begin to limit the power of God in our lives. So we have to learn to let him help us bring that arm down and say, come, Lord Jesus, come to this area of my life and do what you want to do in it. Amen. And that may feel like affliction, but on the other side of it, that beautiful oil is produced. Let's see. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. Um, Austin read this on um, Sunday. Said, we are hard pressed. Everybody say pressed. pressed. 
like oil. On every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Anybody hear that song when you read that? Struck down, but not destroyed. Yeah, we were singing it the other day. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We enter into his death when we die to ourselves. And as we die to ourselves and surrender to him daily, he is released out of our lives. And in the same way we enter into his death, we see the life of Jesus made manifest in our mortal bodies. That means here and now, not just on the other side when we get to glory. It means here and now on earth, I manifest Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Isn't that awesome? What an awesome invitation. The last one is the oil of praise to sing. This comes from the definition to sing. When we give the Lord the oil of praise, and this can kind of encompass all of those things, uh, our work, um, affliction, and that first one, communion. Yeah, communion. The oil of singing. But I like that it specifically says singing. It doesn't say, the definition is to sing. So when you say Bethany, you say house of singing. Um, even if you cannot carry a note, there is something about giving God's breath back to Him singing out loud, speaking out loud, glorifying, praising, adoring Him, worshiping Him, pouring the fruit of your mouth out to Him like oil, singing. That's why we do it here. We, won't, we don't do that here because this is a talent house and we're searching for America's next top worship leader. We do this because we're engaging with the heart of the Father. And there's something about singing. It's why in elementary school, we teach kids everything's done to a song. You want them to learn their times tables, sing them a song. You want them to learn their colors in Spanish, sing them a song. Everything's a song because there's something about a song that connects to our heart and our brains in a different way than words do. And so when we are connecting to the presence of the Lord, we sing to Him. And there's something powerful about not only singing to Him in celebration, but I sing to Him in my seasons of affliction. I sing to Him when I'm tired and I sing to Him when I'm excited. I sing to Him when I don't want to be at church this morning and my spouse drugged me. And I sing to Him when I came pumped and ready to prophesy. I sing to Him in all seasons, at all times. I let my song arise to Him like incense unto Him. Psalm 141, 2 says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, Lord. We say yes. Everybody raise your hands like incense, Father. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice, Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Amen. Yeah. Give him praise. <laughs> Someone recently pointed out to me that in that scene in that room, where Mary pours this oil out on the Lord. She's the only one who walks away from that room smelling like Jesus. We wanna smell like Jesus. We want our lives to be a sweet aroma unto Him, amen? And so I wanna leave you with this question. Can we put back that chart of Mary and Judas? The chart that describes the two. I want to ask you a question. In a moment, right, right now, I want you to ask the Lord, what area of my life right now, do I sound more like Judas than Mary? 
Father, what area of my life am I saying no to surrender? What area of my life am I okay with just being in your vicinity and not at your feet? What area of my life have I taken up control again? When I said I would surrender and I took it back. <laughs> and over and over, I don't know about y'all, but that's like every day for me. I said I would surrender it, but I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Ask the Lord, what area of my life? There may be multiple. I don't know about you, but I got like 25 I can think of right off the top of my head, but ask him for the one. Let's just focus on one. He makes things easy. Because sometimes when he touches certain things in life and he gets to deal with that one thing in us, it, it changes multiple things. So there may be a lot of things out of alignment. It's just like a chiropractor making an adjustment. He sees all of these issues but if he can just press this spot right here, everything else will come into alignment. And that right, Dr. Atkinson, he knows all about it. <laughs> and so ask the Lord, what is the one thing? Let's take a moment. Let's close our eyes. Just take a moment. Father, what is the one thing that I've sounded more like Judas than Mary? What are you asking me to surrender to you? We thank you, Jesus. If you have that one thing in mind or if you're going to continue to work on it, the declaration that I've been making in this season comes from the, a song that uh, Whitney sang tonight. It's called Lamb. And the, the bridge of that, uh, Christine, come on up here too. The bridge of that says, may Christ receive his reward in me. And that area where I have not relinquished, where I've not let go, where I've not laid down, where I've not surrendered in that area of my life. May Christ receive his reward in me. Amen. Amen. I love you guys.